Today, my dear friends, we will be concluding the verses of the letter Pei. As you know, Kapitel Kufiotes, Psalm 119, has eight letters, eight verses, pardon me, for every letter of the Aleph piece. And we're on the fifth class for this collection of verses. This will be our final class on the verses for the letter Pei. And the verses that we will be studying tonight comprise Pasuk Kuf Lamed Hei and Kuf Lamed Vav, verses 135 and 136. And here, King David continues to express his hunger, his thirst, and his yearning for our Holy Torah. Just went live now? We're good? Okay. So with no further ado, Kuf Hay, verse 135, David HaMelech makes a request. Ponecha ho'er be'avdecha. He's speaking to God. God, may your face shine upon your servant. So it's King David speaking to God, asking God that God's proverbial face shine upon King David. Vilamdeni eschukecha. And teach me your statutes. So the obvious question is number one, what does God's shining face mean? Especially since he has no face. And this is obviously entirely anthropomorphical. And then once we understand the meaning of Ponecha Hoyer, what it is precisely that King David seeks, why is that followed with Vilamdeni? And teach me your statutes. And why your statutes? Why not your Torah? Especially because statutes are a part of the Torah we don't really understand. Sometimes at all. The next verse. Pal gemayim, streams of water, yardu einai, were shed by my eyes. Over not keeping your Torah. How does a verse that speaks about God's shining face move into or flow into streams of water that pour forth from David's eyes? And why is he suddenly weeping? What is the connection between one verse and the next? Those are the things, my dear friends, I hope to be able to find clarity with, together with you tonight. Let's take it from the top. Ponecha ho'er ba'avdecha, or ba'avdecha. Your face should shine upon your servant. Once again, we will go to the oldest commentary that we have on Tehillim, the Medrash Tehillim, sometimes called Medrash Shochetov. And let's take a look and see what he says. Kach Omar David. This is what the psalmist, what King David means to say. Altistakel Bonu Bechema. Don't look at me in anger. Elo, rather, Bimoirponim. Don't look at me in anger. Instead, look at me with a glowing. A shining face. Maybe that means a smile. It's the opposite of an angry face. And if you find that anthropomorphism somewhat odd, the Medrash Tillam says, David HaMelech, King David is certainly not the first to use this metaphorical terminology. In fact, Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu uses exactly this terminology. Bringing God's commandment to Aaron and his progeny to bless the Jewish people. Sha'omar Moshe, Moshe said, and that of course takes us to Numbers chapter 6, verse 25 and 26, where we read of the priestly blessings. And there it is written, Yo'er havaya ponav elecha. May God 
cause his countenance to shine towards you. I find this medrash interesting on three accounts. Number one, why is it that the medrash starts with a negative? Altistakil, do not look at us in anger, but rather with a smiling face. Number two, David HaMelech asks, Ho'er, Ho'er means shine. That's, that's a direct verb, shine your face. The Medrash says, Bima'orponim, with a shining face. Not shine your face, but with a shining face. Obviously, the Medrash here is interpretive. The Medrash here is giving us the commentaries, explaining to us what David HaMelech was actually trying to say. How are we better or in a better position to understand what David HaMelech said or what forces us to say that David HaMelech meant a shining face rather than shine your face? Especially because David HaMelech now, apparently, according to the Medrash, is leaning on the words of Moshe. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, Yor Havaya. Your face should shine. So that's again, that's like Hoyer, Yor. So the proof is, Kamesha Amar David, and yet the Medrash says, So clearly it seems that the Medrash A is trying to rule something out. And is giving us a broader understanding of the shining face. Obviously, if God will look with a shining face, his face will shine towards us. But it's more than just his face shining towards us. There's an element of a shining face. And of course, what does that mean? Obviously, uh, my natural inclination then is to look into the Chumash since the Medrash sends us off there and say, well, take a look in the Chumash. Okay, so I figured I'd take a look in the Chumash and see what some of the commentary said. I want to share with you the words of Rabbeinu Yosef Bechor Shor, sometimes known as Rivash, one of the great Rishonim. And I, I chose this commentary to share with you because he gives us very graphic terminology, easy to understand metaphorical idea that relates this notion of a shining face. gift giving. Sometimes we give gifts, which means you give something without being paid for it, which would be a sale. So if you're not getting paid for it, you're gifting it. But sometimes we give that gift because we're forced to give the gift. One thing or another compels us, be it societal norms, <laughs> be it the, some kind of responsibility we have towards somebody or something. Not every gift do we give willingly. So Rabbi Yosef says, Yesh There are some who might give a gift to their peer. But not, not with a, a smiling countenance, with no happiness. Sever Panim Yofas means when your face speaks volumes. And of course, our body language communicates things that we sometimes don't want other people to know. Our face is without any question the most expressive part of our body. You'll never know if somebody's happy, melancholy, or angry by looking at their elbows. But the face, and especially their eyes, will tell us a story. It will tell us a story about the particular mood a person might be in, and as we'll see, it will also tell us a story about who or what kind of person this is. Kindly eyes, wise eyes, baleful eyes. So there is somebody who gives a gift, but it's labor saver upon him office. It's not with a gracious countenance. The perfect example of this would be God himself giving a gift to the Jewish people. And that's the perfect example because here in verse 25, in the sixth chapter of Numbers, we're speaking about God. We're not speaking about a person. So we're just using human terminology to be able to understand and appreciate the relationship we're privileged to have with God. We find that when the people grumbled and they said, where's the beef? We want meat, 
steak, sirloin. Oh, that's not kosher. <laughs> they, they, wanted, they wanted to enjoy life. They were unhappy eating this airy, flighty, mystical, strange superfood called manna. So God sends them the proverbial quail, which should not be necessarily confused with the bird that we call quail today. We don't know with certainty if that exactly is the bird that they ate. But there is a kosher bird, which is called slav, which is broadly translated as quail. And it was given to the Jewish people. Tens of thousands of birds descended upon the camp and they were flying at shoulder length. It was easy to catch them. But it was not given with a gracious countenance. God gave the gift of meat because he was compelled. So the people shouldn't say, God cannot provide for us. He can't give us what we ask him for. What happened with that gift? It kind of blew up. The people ate it. And then as the verse says, The flesh was still between the teeth for some of these people. They were still chewing and they expired. So it didn't exactly take the image of a, a, a gift that's positive. It was given for free, undeserved, but it was not given with a gracious countenance. That's exactly why the blessing is not that God should give, but that God should give us with a gracious countenance. That's why God says, shine your face. That's what we say to God, shine your face to us. Meaning, dear God, when you will give us things in the future, give it to us, give it to us, willingly, happily, with a gracious countenance. So this is the meaning of Yor Hashem Ponevilecha. When David HaMelech then is asking for this notion of Ponecha Ho'er Ba'avdecha, he's asking for God's gracious countenance, but it's not the same as Yor Hashem Ponevilecha, because, as Rivosh says there, it's saying the gift should be given a certain way. And David HaMelech does not seem to be asking for a particular gift here. Now, of course, the Rivash is not the only interpretation, but it's something, an example of what would help us understand this verse, this Pasuk of Tehillim. Rashi says, He should show you a, a smiling face. It's a glowing face. It seems to me that this Medrash Tehillim and the cross-reference to Yored Hashem Panevilecha becomes the basis, the foundation for the primary commentaries on Tehillim. For example, the Ibn Ezra says, Ponecha, what is the meaning of Ponecha? Harotzoin, Harotzoin. David wants God's goodwill. It's God's goodwill. It's God, God to be predispositioned to him, providing him goodwill. To develop this a little bit further, we take a look in the commentary of Radak, Rabbeinu David Kimchi, who says, Yup, And what does that mean? That verse that says, It means, His glowing face is His will. Is His will. God should be favorably or disposed towards us or providing us with goodwill in everything. So God ultimately is our ultimate Benefactor, he gives us everything. And God who gives us everything should do so, so to speak, willingly. I think the Mitsuda's David really brings it home. Let me share with you what he says. What David intends to say here is, Show me a face that is both glowing, a face that is smiling, a gracious countenance. This means goodwill. This means favorably disposed towards David HaMelech. It means love. David wants to be cherished by God. 
And here it is not a blessing, it is not an instruction. Here David HaMelech expresses himself with a request. And the request is, as if David HaMelech was speaking towards a peer, towards a friend. Very interesting words. This is not the blessing of Yorid Hashem Ponevelecha. Here, David HaMelech seeks congeniality from God. So, the Medrash, who said, which said to us that Ho'er doesn't mean Yo'er, now makes a lot of sense. As the Mitsudas understands it, Bimo'er Ponim describes the relationship. David HaMelech seeks a dynamically positive relationship with his creator, with God. In the words of Rabbeinu Menachem, Baal HaMe'iri, the Me'iri says, Ponecho ha'ho'er ba'avdecho keloimar shetekabel dvorai b'ritzui David HaMelech is not asking for a gift here. He's asking that Hashem, that Almighty God, accept His words in a gracious way. Exactly as the Medrash said, He's not asking for the shining countenance per se. He's asking that God will be gracious towards him, that God will respond to him favorably. And I don't know if the Mitzudas David saw the commentary of the Me'iri which predates him, but it seems so compelling to me that this great Rishon, many of us whose writings we didn't have until more recent times. I think until him they did have his commentary. He says, it's like somebody who comes to visit a friend. And he asks of him, whatever it might be. And the other is happy to see him. You know, sometimes you, you want to go and see a friend, maybe spend time with somebody, and they're indifferent to you. They're not happy to see you. They don't respond favorably to your overtures. Maybe they're cold, indifferent. Sometimes they can even be standoffish. They're really not interested in you. And then sometimes you come to a person and you're surprised. You don't think they'll even respond to you, but they're so gracious. How good does that make you feel? The greatest of the great, God, David HaMelech, a mere mortal, a human being. He says to God, when I pray, when I ask, when I, when I seek to, to have this relationship, to nurture this bond with you, hoyer, hoyer ponecha ba'avdecha. Your face should, you should respond to me with a glowing way. You should indicate a sense of, of love to me. I should feel desired. I should, I should feel special you're happy to see me, that you're interested in my presence and my present, the gift that I offer in the form of my service and my commitment, my love, my loyalty, my devotion, and my dedication to you. This is, Me'iri says, in people talk. It means, you know, somebody is ready to accept or listen to you. When you speak about God, you can't use the word sever panim, so you use the terminology or, which means photons, because light is a beautiful thing and nobody likes sitting in the darkness. So we talk about this notion of light. We talk about illumination. We talk about clarity. And that really is the meaning of Yorid Hashem Ponevilecho. The Miri goes on to say, this would be Kishahamelech Mazbir Ponem Adam. When the king responds to a subject 
favorably. You can't even imagine what it was like as a chassid if the Rebbe would respond to a request. If the Rebbe would respond to you. The Rebbe's smile would literally light up a room. And on the rare occasion when the Rebbe would smile to a chassid or express his satisfaction with something that a chassid might have done, it was like the most amazing thing, the most amazing feeling. That's the metaphor we speak about. We saw the Rebbe as a melech. He held him in such incredible esteem. And to get a smile like that was really unbelievable. It's simen hachayim, hepechamavas. When you talk about a king, a king in whose hands is life and death, people are terrified. They're in awe of the king. And then the king smiles and is gracious and it's a sign of life itself. So now we understand what David HaMelech is asking for. We understand what the Medrash interprets that way. David HaMelech actually wants to understand Hashem's Torah. That's what he's looking for. But he begins by saying, May you favorably receive my request. And, He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for fortune or popularity. What did he want when he yearned for God's goodwill and favor? Teach me. Teach me your Torah. And here, my friends, it gets very interesting. In the manuscripts of Rabbeinu Yitzchok Chiyun, as they are redacted by the Mamlois, he says, David HaMelech is yearning hoping that he might merit that graciousness. And the meaning of Vilamdeni is because if God is gracious to me, it'll be easier for me to learn Hashem's Torah. I'll be happy about what I'm doing. And you know, when you're happy about something, it goes so much more easily. It's so much more meaningful and it's so much more effective. When you're unhappy about something or unhappy about being somewhere, you frown, the world frowns with you. You smile, the world smiles with you. Any child who's in a classroom where he or she doesn't feel loved or wanted or cared about will wilt. But the children in a classroom will have a teacher who demonstrates love and care for them, they'll flourish. David Melech says, if, if God is gracious to me, if I feel that, it'll be so much easier for me to learn. I'll learn and understand Hashem's Torah in much, much more of a profound and meaningful way. So we seem to be moving now from the notion of simple graciousness into what David HaMelech is really seeking, which is an enhanced relationship with God. And it begins with Ma'ur Panim. It begins with a gracious and goodwill expression. But the gracious face or the expression of goodwill ultimately leads David HaMelech's request to be fulfilled that he should learn with a greater sense of understanding and a greater sense of appreciation. Now very interestingly, if you go back to the original Pasuk, the verse that we had quoted from Numbers chapter 6, Yair Hashem Panavilecha, which is the 25th verse of that chapter, the Sifri talks about Yiten Lecha Mo'er Panim, God should give you a gracious face. But the Sifri also says, Yair Ze Mo'er Torah. Yair means the light of Torah. And he says, Ki ner mitzvah because the, the ner, our lamp, is a mitzvah. And the Torah is photonic. It is understood to be, or metaphorized, as light. Now, in the Sifri, it's actually like Dover another way of interpreting this, but it seems to me that we are merely leaning on that verse. This is not a repetition of that verse. And in that verse, there is syntax which indicates that the concept of a gracious countenance and the notion of understanding Hashem's Torah are not mutually exclusive. The Rebbe would often talk about the idea 
that disparate interpretations and understandings of Torah are always linked and connected. And this is an easy example of that. In fact, the Sifri goes on to say that the notion of Yichuneka, which is what happens at the end of the Pasuk of Yoyer Havaya Ponevelecha, refers to Das and Bina and Haskel and Musa Rubachachma. It refers to the basic terminologies that describe intellectual achievement, cerebral excellence, insofar as grasping Hashem's Torah. The Sifri even goes on to say, Yichuneka means Yichoncha Betalmutayr. He'll grant you the notion of understanding Hashem's Torah. One of the Rishonim, who is known to us as Rabbeinu Tuviyahu, or Rabbeinu Tuvia, he says that this is the idea that Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, expresses in his wisdom in the book of Kohelet and Ecclesiastics, where he says in the 8th chapter, Chachmat Adam Ta'ir Panav, that the wisdom of a person is also metaphorized as photonic. It illuminates the face of that individual. Wise eyes. And he says that we speak here about Hasbodas Ponim. We speak here about God's gracious face. We speak here about God granting us that gracious face. And Rabbeinu Tuvia in great length explains how this would largely refer to enhanced and upgraded understanding of Torah. So now we understand that the gracious face ultimately leads us in the direction of being able to appreciate Hashem's Torah in a more profound way. In a modern Pirush known as the Shaila Meira, the source he gives is Radak. I don't know where he gets that from because the Radak that I looked in does not say this, but maybe he has another version. But I, I want to quote what he says because I think it's very meaningful. He says, what is the meaning of the concept of Ponecha Hoyer, he says, this is the gili of, gili of Hashem's Shechina. This is the revelation of God's Shechina, the Toich Nafshe HaSichlis HaPnima. In the, in the wise, the soul, the, the, the intelligent soul, the consciousness. And he says, for when there is this graciousness, this demonstration of goodwill, Oisif Chochma V'Seichel B'Nafshi. So then my consciousness, my intelligent soul, will be that much more effective and able. So that will allow me to understand even the chukim, even the mitzvahs, which we don't naturally, organically, or easily understand. For there are mitzvahs that are termed mishpatim, ordinances, laws that by and large human beings can understand. And for example, many of those laws have been brought about in different societies without Torah. Human beings have come to the conclusion that murder is evil, that respect for parents is normal, that human dignity should be maintained, that every person should have a sense of, of, of dignity. Today they call it rights. In Torah, it's called responsibilities towards somebody else. So these are ordinances. These are actual mitzvahs in the Torah, but they're mitzvahs we can understand. And they're mitzvahs which are testimony and recall great events in our history. So we do things which enable us to connect to past events and miracles, causing us to ruminate on what Hashem did for us so that we respond in, with, with reciprocity towards Him. And then there's the mitzvah which we don't really understand. It's called a chok, a statute. Some chukim can be understood to some degree. And David HaMelech asks for exactly that. He says, show me that graciousness, that goodwill, so that I might be able to understand even the chukim, even the most profound and difficult of mitzvahs. The Yitzhari explains it in this way. He says that a person might be brilliant and perceptive in one field of Torah knowledge, but then he's incapable of grasping a different subject. There are some people that do really well at understanding Jewish law, halacha, but they don't understand the, the refined philosophy or jurisprudence of the law. They're really good at coming down to a bottom line, a good rav, not the biggest Rosh Hashiva. And then there are people who might excel in both of those areas 
but don't do well when it comes to mystical teaching, when it comes to learning or studying Pneumius HaTayda, and vice versa. David HaMelech asked that Hashem grant him a proverbially shining face. And the proverbially shining face means, it means illumination. And illumination as such, the nature of photons is that they do not discriminate. They illuminate equally. The sun shines on all of us in the same way, be we deserving or not. And so, if Hashem's face shines upon us, then we might understand all of Torah, even the statutes, even the things which are most incomprehensible within the framework or gamut of Torah, even those things we'll understand and appreciate intellectually as well. And the virtue, incidentally, of appreciating these things intellectually is that when we understand it, we can affiliate with it. We identify with it. It isn't merely something we, we do with subservience or dry obedience, but it's something for which we develop a sense of passion, something for which we have a, maybe a jingoism or a patriotism with regard to this mitzvah. We feel strongly about it. That's a good thing. That comes through chachma bina and das. That comes through the intelligent faculties. For the more we understand and the more mature is our level of apprehension, the more developed, the more sophisticated will be our emotional responses, which in the end lead to more meticulous observance. So this is what David HaMelech asks for. And this brings us to a very, very interesting place. I call this the third level of understanding this pasuk. In the third level of understanding this Pasuk, I'll direct you to the words of the Tehilo Hashem, who said, David HaMelech requested, that he should have the image of God, a divine image upon him. For when the divine image would be upon him, then he'd be able to learn the precepts of God. What does that mean? We talked about wise eyes. We talked about Shlomo HaMelech's ecclesiastical statement of the face that's illuminated by a person's wisdom. In the Tehilois Maharitz, he suggests that this is connected to the notion of the Gemara's statement in Mesechet Nedarim. On page 49b, there was a princess, some member of Roman nobility, who saw one of the sages. And she saw, she saw a sense, his face was glowing. And she said, the man looks, he looks drunk. He looks like there's some kind of substance that's right now affecting him. And they responded, no, no, no. This is not a substance, lady. This is the meaning of Chachmas Adam Torah You are seeing the impact of true wisdom. That true wisdom has a way of literally affecting a certain glow, a shine, or a, a sense of energy in a person's face. And the Tehillis Ma'arit says, that's what David Melch is asking for. He's asking for... He's asking for the Torah to glow from within, but then again, he wants to learn the Torah. So what does this mean? I think, I think that Tehillah Hashem is speaking about the Tselem Elikim. I think, I think that's, that's the idea that we refer to. What David HaMelech is asking for is that the inner light, his inner light, should shine. Now, how does, how does somebody's inner light shine? The answer is when it's unfettered when it isn't obfuscated. When Hashem smiles at you, you smile back. When you have the privilege of that relationship, one smile calls forth another. Shlom HaMelech also says, one face reflects another face. So whilst David HaMelech is saying, Ponecha Ho'er, what he's really saying is, the peace of godliness inside me should illuminate, should resonate. What does that mean? I'm not sure I know, but I think this is what it means. 
I think. In the 24th chapter of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe speaks about sinners. And he says that sinners, human sinners, and by the way, sinners can only be human. A sinner, a human being who's rebellious and behaves in a way that is counter to the will of the Creator is lower than the lowest form of life. What he calls wild animals, impure animals, animals that are violent, animals that are cruel, animals that kill with impunity. The lowest form of life. But a human being is far worse. And of course you would ask why? And the answer is because the animal never really chooses to do any of the things that it does. It simply responds instinctually. But the human being is given the opportunity and the ability to choose right or wrong. And doing as our instincts ordain, just by the way, is wrong. We should do as our conscience dictates, not our instincts. <laughs> Instinctually, if you take a child's diaper off, you will find your floor or sofa soiled. That's an instinct. Not one that we hope to hang on to for very long. At some point, children need to be potty trained. One of my children was very, very resistant to this idea that they be potty trained. It was really a very great challenge. And at some point, our pediatrician said to us, relax, he said to my wife and I, you will not walk him to the chuppah and diapers. <laughs> and of course, when he was ready, at an age significantly older than the other children, this child decided to use the washroom too. And they grew up just fine. So we don't, we don't follow our instincts. When children throw a tantrum, well, they're just being children, terrible twos. When your child is a teenager and behaves like that, that's a big problem. An animal who is prone to violence because that's its instincts is simply doing what its instinct is. The animal that's prone to soft and sensitive behavior is not a good animal, it's just an animal. It does what its instincts dictate to it. And al says a very interesting thing. He goes on to say, you should know, he says that af yatush, that even a gnat or blood-sucking insect, shemachnes ve'eni moitzi, who seems to do nothing but suck out the life from other things in order to survive and contributes nothing in return. A bloodsucker. It's the lowest form of life because the lowest form of life is a life that contributes zero. Only takes and never gives. It's as far away as you could imagine, he says, from the dimension of holiness. Because holiness gives, God gives. Beneficence is the divine nature. As our Torah puts it, the nature of good is to be good, to give. That blood-sucking insect stands at a higher stature than the sinning person. And that's because that person has chosen to go against Hashem. And it goes without saying that the person is lower than even the violent killer animals. Shekulam einam mishanim tafkidam. For all of these animals, do not deviate. They don't deviate from their programming. As the Gemara in Mesechat Sanhedrin tells us on page 42, they do exactly what they're supposed to. Ufkudasi is barach shamra rucham. As the book of Job says, they follow the instructions they got from their Creator. And even though the animal doesn't have a sense of what it's doing, it doesn't know about the Creator. It cannot communicate or understand with any form of intelligence that there is a Creator. This is Afalgaf the Iu Lechazi. Even though the Alter Rebbe says, paraphrasing the famous words that are found in the beginning of Mesechet Megillah that describe the proverbial writing on the wall which Belshazzar and his chamberlains could not understand, yet felt a deep sense of fear and unease in their hearts. For although they couldn't read or interpret the script, something told them we were in big trouble. And they were. 
So there's this notion of subconsciousness. There is a, something subconscious that the animal is driven without really understanding why or how, but it knows that it's supposed to do this. And Alta Rebbe gives a very interesting example for this. I know you're wondering what this has to do with the tilum. Just wait a moment. Ukumesha Kosov, like it says. And here we go back to the book of Genesis, where it says, that there'll be a sense of awe, a sense of reverence on all creatures of the land. As the Gemara in Mesechet Shabbat tells us on page 151, that a wild animal does not have dominion over a human being, save the human being appears like an animal. Animals are not that smart. They don't really know the difference between human beings and between animals. The animal has eyes and the people have eyes. The animal takes a breath, the people take a breath. The animals have mobility, the people have mobility. The animals have fur, the people have hair. It doesn't look that different to them. The animal is not capable of classifying which animal it is and what system of nomenclature it fits into. But the animal somehow knows that it avoids human beings, just like little vermin do not come and chew on a sleeping person's limbs. But when a person is dead, they immediately head for their pound of flesh. There's something about the human spirit which they sense. And al Rebbe says that the only reason that a wild animal doesn't know to avoid a human being is because the wild animal doesn't see the spark of God. He doesn't see the Tzalem Elikim. We, human beings, are created with an image of God, but unfortunately we cloud and darkle that image. We obfuscate things to the point that the animal no longer sees it. As the Rebbe points out in a letter, one of his very early letters, written in 1936 or 37, maybe 38, he writes to a famous Rav. It's a long discussion about things written in Tanya. The Alter Rebbe says, the Rebbe writes there, the animal does not have a feeling. It doesn't understand it or even have a feeling towards it. It's only an instinct. It's not meichen or midas. It's not in cerebral. It's not even a motive. And therefore, tzaddikim shein tzelem elikim mistalik malpinim, the truly righteous, real tzaddikim, on their faces there glows not just intelligence, on their faces there glows neshama. Neshama is a piece of God. So chayes rois is skafin kamayu. The wild animals are subdued before them. As it says, the, so, the Zohar describes this was the phenomenon of the lions who did not devour Daniel, but instead playfully respected him. So this is the notion of a true tzaddik, that the tzaddik has the spirit of God resonating. And because it resonates, even the animals somehow know, they can sense that it's tzelem alikim. Now, the animal doesn't have any deep understanding of this. But think about it. If the tzelem alikim is so powerful that it's allowed to shine unfettered, that even animals somehow know, how much more so that that person would be poised and positioned to understand the Shem's Torah? I think this is what the Tehillus Hashem is referring to and probably what the Tehillus Maratz means in the commentary when they say that David sought not only Hashem's shining countenance, but rather that that countenance reflect, be a reflective reality here where David Melech's own soul would be revealed. His own soul powers would be piqued and roused. And in doing so, he would indeed succeed at what David Melech sought, namely, that as a result of Ponecha Hoyer Bavdecha, Vilam Deini, and he would be able to learn well, Chukecha, all aspects, all areas, even the part of Torah, which cannot be understood. Incidentally, in case you think that this is only a story about Tzadikim in antiquity, or people who lived in the era or time of the prophets. Think again. In the Sefer Shem Hagdolim of the Chidah, it speaks about an ancestor of the Or HaChaim whose name was Yehuda Ibn Attar. And this Yehuda Ibn Attar, living in North Africa and Morocco, was thrown into a lion's den, wearing his talus and tefillin. And he spent an, a day and a half there. And when they came to take out his bones, the lions were playfully sitting at his feet, listening to him study and pray. 
a real story, which was witnessed by many people. In the Rishimah Sayyuman of the Rebbe, so in the beginning of Tafresh Sadeches, I guess it will be the winter of 1938, he records a number of interesting things. It starts off with a record of Purim, different Purim customs that he saw from the Friedrich Rebbe. And then he says that there is a story related in the name of the fourth Rebbe, Rabbi Shmuel, the Rebbe Maharash, about the Or HaChaim himself, who migrated from North Africa, from Morocco to Yerushalayim. And at one point, he was left behind when a caravan did not wait for him because it was Shabbat. And as he was alone in the desert on Friday night, a desert lion came out of nowhere. And when the Or HaChaim demonstrated who he was, the Or HaChaim, that he was a person who was clean of sin. That's the way the story goes. He physically demonstrated cleanliness of sin. The lion remained near him the entire Shabbat. And on Matzoi Shabbat indicated that Orachayim ride on his back. And he rode on the back of a lion all Matzoi Shabbat, hanging on to the lion's mane until he was brought back to the caravan that had abandoned him. So there are, there are stories. There are stories about Rabbi Shem Tev and Rabbeim. There's a story with Rabbi Kaliner that's told by Zikni Achsidim. Wild dogs once attacked him and a similar thing happened. So there's this idea of revealing the concept of, of Neshama. And now that we've come to part three of our understanding of Hoyer Ponecha, right? first it was the shining countenance, the shining face, and then it was about being able to appreciate and understand Hashem's Torah. God should be gracious to David HaMelech and should give him the ability to look deeper into Torah, which ultimately means to allow his essence to be revealed. Now we'll understand the relationship, the connection between these two verses. Between these two verses, incidentally, and I say this really as a, an incidental, and I get back to this in a moment, in the Tehilois Hashem, he says that Bederech Tzachos, with somewhat of a humorous approach, you could say that David HaMelech sought to become a reflection of Hashem's light so that he might influence others. And I don't think this is different than the idea of, of revealing the essence of who he really was, his neshama, his neshama, his soul. That the soul should reveal itself, the soul should shine forth. Imagine that, if the soul would be visible on our faces. The holiness should be visible on our faces. You saw the Rebbe's face, you, you saw holiness. You could see it. Even us unholy people could, could sense it. Even animals sense things like this. So this leads us now, this idea of revealing soul leads us into understanding the next Pasuk, which is streams of tears spilled from my eyes. What's the connection? Says the Mitzvah Sian, what does it mean, streams of tears? And they're called streams because just as streams invariably will divide and flow in different directions, we're speaking here about a flow of tears that comes from all parts of the eyes. Not just a little tear that rolls out the corner of the eye. The, the eyes are profusely weeping. What's this about? Says the Mitzudas David, David HaMelech here is expressing profoundest remorse for his sinful behavior. And he said, My eyes shed tears like a river. Because of the mistakes I made, for not having been more scrupulously and meticulously observant of your Torah, for doing as as what my eyes wanted, what my eyes saw and lusted, craved and desired. The Radak is much more graphic and he says, David HaMelech here weeps over his sins. And he regrets them. And specifically he says, it's not I who's crying. He says, my eyes are crying. Because as the Gemara tells us, there are two spies that reconnoiter. The eyes see, the heart craves or lusts, and then people sin. 
So David HaMelech then asks first for Ponecha Hoyer, which means his own soul should be revealed. Not his heart, the way his heart, his natural desires, but instead the soul's desires should be revealed and resonate. And the eyes that sinned from them issue forth a stream of tears. And so David HaMelech, who shed streams of tears over not keeping Hashem's Torah, is essentially saying that he blamed his eyes. The wise would, eyes would wander, and the sinner strays after what his eyes see, as the sages say in Talmud Yerushalmi, in Brachas, in the beginning, it says, Ha'ayin v'halev, it is the eyes and the heart that are the, so to speak, spies, the scouts who reconnoiter, who check out the scene. And this becomes, unfortunately, the great cause. So David HaMelech is talking about tshuva. Why is he talking about tshuva? How does tshuva even rise? How does it even get into the, the, the discussion? Why is the emphasis here on tshuva? So the answer is that precisely when a person does not do tshuva, precisely when a person does sins, that eliminates the soul from being revealed. So David HaMelech, who sought to reveal the soul, now says, I'm actually weeping over my sins. And this I found, this connection I found clearly articulated in the words of Rabbeinu Moshe Alshech. In his commentary on Tilim Reimim Eiskel, the Alshech says that until verse 135, up until here, David HaMelech was talking about do-gooding. He wanted to be guided in a direction, as we learned last week. He wanted to be released from that which would stand in the way of doing good things. Ato, now in these last two verses, he speaks here about avoiding the toxic and negative. You know, when I first saw this Alshech, I didn't understand what he was saying. Ponecha Hoyer, a shining face. How is that avoiding toxicity? How is that avoiding negativity? And then as I continued to, understand, to study this, this psukim, and I realized that this, the Alshech is saying this, that Haloi who totally believe all of that bad behavior hinges on the heart, and in the eyes. Himbeis sarsure da'aveda haleva as we just mentioned from the Gemara and Talmud Yerushalmi. So this is the idea, the first verse that says, may your face, may your countenance shine towards me, means ponecha hoyer ba'avdecha, He's speaking about his heart. David HaMelech says, I want to feel the sense of closeness to you. Don't you know that sin becomes a wall that divides between us and Hashem? That's exactly what David HaMelech seeks to be cleansed from. He seeks to be, he seeks to be cleansed in his heart. He seeks to have that beautiful, clear relationship. He seeks to have his own neshama, his own soul, resonate and illuminate within his heart. So that the soul does not follow, as Metsudas David says, the things that I want, doesn't do the things, quote-unquote, as the eyes see it, or as the heart sees or thinks of it, but rather as the soul, the neshama, thinks or sees of it. And here, the al Sheikh says, incredibly, he says, I'm asking Titaher Chilosi that you purify me of my toxicity, of my filth. Tizachich Levavi, cleanse my heart. Because when I cleanse my heart, then I'll be Muchan Lekabalimut Saydis. Then I can understand the secrets of Hashem's Torah. Because when you do sins, something called Timtum Halev unfolds. There is a confounding of the heart. The heart becomes, so to speak, sealed or stuffed because of sin. And, and then when you're able to avoid that, when you're able to get past that, what happens, in fact, is that one's heart opens and becomes receptive to Torah and to its message. And that leads us into the next verse, Hasar Surasheni, which is the eyes. So he says those eyes, those eyes should be cleansed by virtue of the stream of tears. And very interestingly, in the Sefer Erches Sadikim, it says, Ba'oven Sarsur Sarinayim, the sin of the eye reconnoitering, laying itself on inappropriate things. Yuchuper b'demois. 
that's, that's cleansed, that's atoned for through sins, through, through tears. And that's the meaning of palgemayim. That's the meaning of the, the stream of tears, so to speak. So Rabbeinu Yena in Share Tshuva enumerates various components in what we call a tshuva amitis, a sincere repentance, a sincere return. And his fourth principle, I suppose for lack of better terminology, Yisurim B'maisa, like suffering indeed. Rabbeinu Yena says that every organ that participated in a sinful act and derived pleasure from it has to actually suffer in order to purge itself. So therefore, the heart and the eyes, the heart would suffer heartache where it derived delight or pleasure from sinful behavior. And the eyes, which are one of those two agents of sin, so the heart atones for through its bitterness, through its heartache, and the eyes atone through remorse. And that's why, as I mentioned, the verse doesn't say, palge mayim yardumi many, I cried streams of tears, my eyes cried streams of tears, because it's those tears that cleanse the eyes from the eyes' own spiritual impurity. So now this all starts to make sense. How David HaMelech, this is really, as the Alshach puts it, this is about ridding, David HaMelech seeking to rid himself of the things that would stand between him and his appreciation of Torah. As I mentioned in the outset, David HaMelech seeks, he craves a deeper and a more profound understanding of Torah, and he understands that being piled mile high with sin is not going to allow him to easily absorb Torah. So he's doing tshuva. Meiri says, Because I did not keep your Torah, because, as the Pasuk says, Because the verse itself, forget the Gemara, don't forget the Gemara. I mean, like, the Gemara source is in the Pasuk, in the Krishma. Don't follow your eyes and your heart. The eye sees, the heart lusts. And he mischaret. What does it mean? He feels bad about the eyes and the heart. David Melech feels bad about the eyes and the heart because the moment you start to look when you're not supposed to look, not when you notice, but when you look again, and when you start to lust and crave and entertain the sin of the thoughts of sin, which ultimately lead a person in the direction of sin. So David Melech is doing, doing tshuva for these things because what happens is, as a result of the sinful behavior, it eats away at one's own spirituality. So this is at least one way of understanding how these verses unfold. There is, however, a very different way of understanding this. We don't have to follow that pathway of, you know, the, 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 the concept of the shine of which seeks Torah, which ultimately means the freeing of the neshama and the alshech's approach of all of this is ridding negativity. The first verse, 135, could be entirely positively focused. Hashem shows David HaMelech graciousness, and then, and then, he'll understand Hashem's Torah. Of course, the question then would be, how do you understand verse 136 about Palgimayim? So here's another interesting approach. And this approach actually is rooted in the Medrash. Incidentally, in the Medrash where I said, Al-Testaka Banu remember, if you remember, I asked you that question, why do we have to emphasize, don't look at me in anger, according to this first approach, it makes a lot of sense. Medr certainly would allow for that because don't look at me in anger. Anger is what we would kind of engender as a result of a sinful behavior. So we follow off, uh, follow up now with another approach here. The pal game mayim says the Medr tilim. Kachamar David, this is what David says. I weep for noble souls, for great people with great potential who failed miserably in their spiritual pursuit. People, two people named Dog and Achitofel, who I'm not even going to go into right now. That's a whole story in and of itself. Because they didn't keep your Torah. In other words, David HaMelech wants to influence other people, as I said to you from the Tehillah Hashem before. And David HaMelech feels a sense of profound bitterness at those who don't understand and appreciate what he understands and appreciates. He feels terrible for them. He feels a sense of mercy, compassion feels a sense of sadness for these lost, these lost lives, these broken opportunities. 
And the, the Medrash goes in a very interesting direction. David Amalek is crying about others' failures. So the Medrash says he wouldn't be the first one. About Rachel Imenu, the prophet Yirmiyo says, Kol Baram a voice is heard weeping on high. And the voice is Rachel Mevakel Baneha. Rachel is crying over her children. So it seems from this Medrash that everything that the Tzadik or Tzidkanit, that the righteous man or woman experiences in the other world is but a reflection of what happened in this world. And the Medrash says, V'chirasa Rachel Banim Did Rachel ever see grandchildren? She didn't even see her son Binyamin. She died as he was born. Maybe saw him for a moment. She certainly didn't see Yosef's children. She died giving birth to Binyamin. Allah says the Medrash, the prophets wept over Israel's failures. The prophets are hurt. Our great righteous men and women from on high grieve for us. And they cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Because you cry over this wasted Wasted opportunities, this loss of potential. Many keilach mibechi, don't cry, hold your tears back. There will be, in the end, reward. And I don't want to go into the whole story of Rachel now. Now is not the appropriate time for it. But the Medrash kind of links it here. And so this is another approach where David Amalek is not doing tshuva. He's not crying over his failures. He's crying over the failures of others. And as Rabbeinu uh, Yitzchak Chiyun says, the Palgemayim is Kevan Shara'isi Anoshim She'em Shemrim Teresacha. David Melech was, after all, the monarch of Israel. He cared deeply about every Yid. And when he saw so many people disinterested in Hashem's Torah and mitzvahs, it cut, cut deeply. And he responded by weeping. He wept over them. As the Rebbe says in the famous Sicha about Binyamin and Yosef, who embraced and wept on each other proverbially. What does it mean? So it says, Binyamin was crying for Yosef's churban, the destruction of the future Beit HaMikdash on the territory that will be allotted to the progeny of Yosef. And Yosef is crying over the Beit HaMikdash, which would be in the territory allotted to Binyamin. And the Rebbe asks a simple question. If Yosef's progeny will suffer destruction and Binyamin's progeny will suffer destruction, then why in heaven would they cry about their own problems? And the Rebbe's answer is, you don't cry about your problems. You do something about it. Spiritual destruction is brought about through our sins. After all, our exilic displacement came as a result of our sin. Your sins have to be fixed by you. Somebody else's sins, you can't fix that. But you can recite a chapter of Tilim. And you can shed a tear. David HaMelech shed many. Many tears, because he saw people not keeping the Torah. The Ma'am Lois brings down, he says from a medrash, I don't know what this medrash is, but he attaches that medrash to this particular pasuk. The Ma'am Lois says that there was a woman. When a tzaddik would pass, she would, she would be in a state of joy. When a wicked person would pass, she would weep and shed tears. And they said to her, Strange woman, what are you doing? Why do you exhibit joy at the death of a tzaddik and you weep at the loss, at the death of a wicked person? And she said, When a tzaddik, when a tzaddik passes into the other world, I am joyous on the good that he's heading for. But when a wicked person dies, I weep for him, for he is going to a very bad place. And this, says the Ma'am Lois, is the meaning of David Melech's tears. This is what he means when he says that he weeps. He's weeping for others who violated the Torah. So now we have a new understanding, a new appreciation of this notion of David Melech's tears. And so, so in closing, I can tell you that there really become two approaches to understanding this collection of verses. It either is positively oriented, with David Melech yearning for Hashem's Torah and weeping at other people's failures, which is the second way we explain this, or the first way explained is that ultimately David seeks to cleanse himself from his own misdeeds, 
from his own missteps so that David HaMelech's soul should be revealed fully, so that David HaMelech should be able to appreciate the glory and the splendor, the depth and the profundity of Hashem's beautiful Torah. May Hashem cleanse our hearts. May we be able to study and appreciate the depth of His holy Torah. May those who are wandering in strange pastures be brought home, perhaps because we care and because we're prepared to shed a tear. And may all of us together merit to see the most wonderful revelation of Torah with the coming of Mashiach and the ridding of all toxins and obfuscation and confusion and the ushering in of a perfect and beautiful world that will reflect nothing but Hashem's presence in which we will all know the greatest and most wondrous secrets of Hashem's Torah, the Mehra will be Amen, Amen.